0: of nomics, where we're dealing with the reality of economics in the bible now um i don't know whether you can hear me please let me know if you can hear me um or you can see me let <laughs> me not take for granted that you can but if you can please do let me know uh, let me just uh, make sure the link is up i'm doing this from a new location, so um, I'm away from Nairobi, but there was uh, <laughs> there was a demand for me to to do this. Uh, so let me just go ahead and do what I've been asked to do. Uh, okay, so let me know if you can hear me. Let me know if you can see me. Now. Um hoping that I'm clear, uh, let me start here. Uh, uh, last week, we discussed how in the famine uh, uh, Joseph um, procured for Pharaoh uh, the the sheep, the goats, and the cattle, then the land and then the people and then uh, what we saw is uh, these people some that these people were now landless. They were now not in charge of themselves and they were no longer shepherds. Now, these are three very important uh, things. Now, let me uh, try and and rehash all of this um, so that we, we get some perspective. Number one, when you don't own yourself, someone else, tells you when to do and what to do. And we see that in the story of Joseph uh, in Genesis. Why? Because now Pharaoh owned these people. So that's number one. And and to give it a modern comparison, it is the current uh, reality for many people that have jobs that they do not do voluntarily uh, have the pressures of life, uh, you, you, you need to pay rent, you need to eat, you need to sleep, actually creating an environment uh, upon which you cannot determine for yourself your schedule of time. So this is how modern slavery is. In fact, uh, the innovation of uh, abolishing slavery uh, was simply uh, uh, the, the white man's way of realizing that you can get more labour from someone when they think they are free than when they think they are not. This is reality uh, and fact. Why do we know this? Because uh, even when the industrial revolution started, uh, many of the industrial people actually uh, used to work seven days a week for very small pay, uh, pennies on the dollar. And and really, this is the reality even today that... Um, your your salary is not going to be able uh, to get you uh, into the stratosphere of economics. Uh, 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 um, uh, the difference between a slave then and a slave today is is the fact that the slave today has money to buy uh, uh, things, but the slave of yesterday, instead of being given money, was given food, shelter, uh, and clothing and the master was supposed to provide uh, whatever he needed now depending on how much you earn you realize that the difference between you and slavery is not uh, the money you receive that is the delusion the difference between you and slavery is your degree of freedom Uh, how much of your life is lived by choice and not by force or by by coercion or by pressure from society this is very very critical how much of your life is determined by you and what you want to do how much what you desire to do this is the difference between the slave and the free uh, and and here's the thing about the slave and the free and and if you know about slavery you know that in the farms where slaves used to work. There used to be free men as well and women who would work. Now, if you walked into the chamber, uh, the free man and the slave may look the same. They may even seem like they're doing the same job, but the degree of freedom upon which the person can decide whether tomorrow they will show up to work or not makes the difference between the slave and the free man. Now, uh, uh, of course, uh, this is the selling of your 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 body, yourself, your self determination to Pharaoh. Now, what does this mean in 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 today's world? Uh, uh, it says they considered their hunger, they were scared, and and they made the decision that they are going to sell their cattle, sell their land, and sell themselves to Pharaoh. Now, why is this critical? uh the, the reason for which we sell ourselves to slavery remain the same to date uh what do i mean uh the reason why some people still have the jobs they do is because they are afraid of being hungry they are afraid of of starvation. They are afraid of society. They are afraid of being called jobless. So these things uh, happen even today. The, the 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 seven years of plenty, the seven years of luck were a sign. What was the sign? Let me explain to you. The seven years, which again, by the way, uh, because today I'm going to deal about the Sabbath. Seven means Sabbath. <laughs> okay, uh, seven is. The, the seven years there's the seventh year of Sabbath, so there were seven years and seven years. Now, uh, what 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 does this allude to? It means there are two ways to live life. That when God provides, and there's plenty, people keep their animals, people keep their land, and people are free to do with themselves the way they want, they want the way they desire. But when there is pressure and calamity, people lose who they are, they sell off who they are, and they decide to work for the person who, like Pharaoh, has the resources of the season upon which there was plenty. Uh, Listen to me. They choose to work for the people who, like Pharaoh, had resources stored up and kept when there was plenty, uh, the person who's able to create a system that is able to store up wealth, that person will end up being served by those who did not and those who do not have. Now, what is critical to understand is that all of these things have symbolisms and meanings. Uh, From the loss of their shepherding role, the loss of their land, and the loss of their own freedom, it is the same thing that happens today. I'll tell you this. when the colonialist came, um, uh, he took away our sheep and goats, in case you didn't know. Uh, that's the, what they did. And, and what, when they take that away, your source of protein, your source of wealth, your source of uh, taking care of something is taken away. Uh, 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 and now you're left with land. And when you work the land the land is different when you when you have sheep and goats and cattle you can milk them if you're Maasai, you can blood them and and the animals generally uh, produce uh, consistently eggs you know and milk and things like that even if it's a cup from your cow you had a cup of milk every day to push you along but when this is taken away and and replaced with what replaced with 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 uh uh, agrarian agriculture what soon happens is that there are gaps of lack if you plant uh, maize 6 months, 5 months uh, you don't have produce you have to wait for 5 months what are you doing between there the colonialist wanted you to depend on him and, and even further they took our land from us put us into reserves uh, which which is why we, we still call our rural areas reserve uh, tell me if my network is okay i'm seeing i'm being told to check my network connection perhaps i should use SafariCon. one second are we okay connection issues are we good please comment down there if we are okay so they take away your land put you in a reserve and then this land, the large tracts of it that are needed for a productive society are taken away. And then, of course, uh, what you have, uh, it's dipped and returned. Okay, so let me see. Let me switch to Safarico. Uh-huh. You, uh, to, to to actually build and make something out of what you're doing, it is too tiny. And therefore, if it is tiny, uh, you are forced, uh, uh, like most people are, to do what? It's very simple. To go and labor at a place you do not like, for wages that will not get you into wealth, and you will die without significance. Uh, This is the destiny for many people. Allow me to take a sip of water. Many, many people, thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions, in fact, billions of people will end up living their lives without significance, without consequence, and having worked simply at most to educate their children and to feed them, not to leave them an inheritance. Now, our great grandfathers, they left their children's inheritance. There was prosperity. There was increase. Now, we need to understand that we are in Egypt. We are in Egypt financially speaking. We are in Egypt economically speaking. We are in Egypt as far as the human labor, especially in our country, is concerned. We are in Egypt. (laughs) I read for you and I told you that if you read it carefully, the freedom of the slavery of the Jew uh, from Egypt was an economic journey as well as a spiritual journey. God did not separate those two things. It was economic. And therefore, God addresses the issues of the economy of the Jews. And in this discussion, I want to uh, focus first on the first pillar of the economy of God. But I also want to deal, on one other hand, on the very simple issue of how did God set the Jews free. Now, if you remember, we left where the Jews, uh, their labor was increasing. They were increasing in number. They were not increasing in wealth. The the thumb of, 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 of the ruling pharaoh was on them. On top of that, their children were supposed to be killed and drowned and all manner of things. And the male of their... Of, of, of among them, the males, were being destroyed. Now, when I talk about males, I, I talk about people, uh, I don't talk about male and female in the sense of gender, but I'm talking about the people with strength, the people with, with the ability to move forward, the ability to change society, are Moses people. The people who can lead their people out of Egypt, they keep being killed just the same way As any man or woman who rebelled in the American slavery, anytime they rebelled, they were castrated, they were killed so that they could not reproduce the gene that rebels against slavery. This is critical for us to remember because it happens even today that the people among us who are rising up, who are standing up, whether it is politicians with vision as Thomas Sankara or Lumumba, it does not matter. It comes down even to society. When you want to step out, there is the spirit of Pharaoh that wants to kill that child that is desirous to set his people free this spirit operates even to date it operates even to date now how do you break free what was god's freedom right now i want to read a few scriptures to you that will begin to open your mind now uh, please bear in mind the shepherding the land the freedom of the people all right now what god does first and and this you will remember is God sets the Jews free. How does he set them free? It is interesting. He sends ten miracles. He sends ten miracles. I want you to understand that the distance between you and freedom is miraculous. Oh, my goodness. It is not a plan you can put in place. It requires the hand of God. This is the message. The message is this, that the freedom from the subjection, subjectivity and slavery you have been entreated to as a child of this world, that freedom, is not going to be given to you. The world, the system of Egypt requires you to be a slave for it to function. Remember even Babylon, the great that falls in Revelation, what does it say? It says that Babylon traded in the souls of men. Traded in the souls of men. What does that mean? That part of the commerce of this world is the exploitation of human beings. Exploitation of human beings. That people will work and be unable to achieve freedom. Because whatever they earn is keeping them under the yoke of slavery. Now, God, in dealing with the question of the freedom of the human being, he requires a miracle. What what are those miracles? They're the ten miracles of Moses. Starting from the snakes to the death of the firstborns. Now, what does that tell you? I will not go into the miracles. But I will give you the Moses principle. What is the Moses principle? He was sent by God to go tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Question. Why didn't Moses just go get the people and walk out? Why did he need to deal with Pharaoh? if they had reigned from Pharaoh, they would never have received freedom in their minds. They would never have seen a God who is greater than Pharaoh. They would never have seen a God who can inflict pain and personal damage to Pharaoh. They would never have seen a God who is Greater in his doings and his dealings than Pharaoh. Why? Because Pharaoh in Egypt was described as a god. So, what happens is this that for as long as the god of your life is money, the god over your life is poverty, the god over your life is fear, until God demonstrates to you that he can operate beyond money. He can operate beyond your landlord. He can operate beyond what are the things that scare you into submission. Then even if you run away, all the devil has to do is pull a little bit of your money and you run back into slavery. All he has to do is touch a bit of the pain of not being able to pay rent and you run back to safety. God needs to deliver you from the weapons which Pharaoh uses to keep you in slavery. How are you kept in slavery today? The fear of poverty the fear of uh, houselessness, homelessness, the fear of hunger, the fear of what will people say about you. These are the reasons for which you do not wake up and do what God has called you to do. Because there is fear. Now what God needs to do, and he's doing it right now, is sending a Moses to you, and if you hear the voice of Moses, he is telling the Pharaoh in your life, the various instances of fear in your life, that guess what? God is here to deliver you from financial oppression. And he will do the works that are necessary to get you into financial freedom. What are those works? He will deal with Pharaoh. He will demonstrate a greater power than Pharaoh. What does that mean? He God has to demonstrate for you that he is able to provide for you, shelter you, from the damage Pharaoh threatens to inflict upon you, including parting the Red Sea so you can walk over on dry land and be able to achieve freedom. Please remember that the freedom I'm talking about here is the freedom to be you, the freedom to determine for yourself what you shall be, what you shall do, and what you shall become, and how you shall walk. This freedom is a mental one. This freedom is a fight for your psyche. Unless you're willing to set yourself free from what you're afraid of, you will never attempt the things that God wants you to do. You will never. You will never. You will never. Listen, there was no passport control. There was no border control. And guess what? The Jews remained in slavery. Why? Because their mentality had forgotten. Listen, Moses asked, when they ask me who has sent me, who should I tell them? Then God says, introduce me as the God of Isaac, Abraham and Jacob, and as I am who I am. What does that mean? Two things the Jews had forgotten their God. And now the person who had power, the entity that had authority was Pharaoh and his system. That is where they got food. That is where they got shelter. That is where they got everything. When 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 you talked about freedom to them, I can tell you the freedom they must have thought of is another Pharaoh, a better Pharaoh, a Pharaoh who will. Treat them better, much like we are in Kenya today, where we hope we will get a better president, a better boss, a, a, a better company, a better job. No, that is not the freedom. The freedom is when your mind to come to the realization and acceptance that it is not money that determines your destiny. It is not the comfort of a cushy home that con- uh, determines your destiny. It is not food that determines your destiny, but it is God who determines your destiny. And the belief that if indeed I am a planting of God, he will provide for me. And that is why... But Jesus said in the book of John that the work that you should be doing is to trust, to rely on, to depend on Christ. Listen carefully. Every businessman worth his salt understands one thing more than people who are employed. They understand risk. Now some of them will risk because they, they, they trust that they can corrupt the system make it work for them others risk because they have contracts which will protect them others risk because they have experience and know how Ah, but at the end of the day the entrance fee into the kingdom of god is faith in god why is it the entrance fee that unless you're willing to realize that god is greater than what you fear then you will never cross the Red Sea the Red Sea which defines your baptism into God away from Pharaoh. You cannot enter the kingdom Jesus said. If you worry you cannot be fully cognizant of the kingdom. If fear rules you, that's how you know you're in Egypt. You enter the kingdom when you fully rely on your father who is in heaven, who knows that you have need for these things. So he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek the kingdom of God. And the work that you should be doing is to believe in Christ, whom God has sent. I'm quoting John. Why is this critical? This is critical because the things that God wants you to do are in no way, shape, or form pegged on the money you have, on the experience you have, or on your wherewithal in terms of working. And I want to read uh, some scriptures for you so you understand me. Let me read, for you from hebrews so that we understand each other actually should i read ephesians 5 okay let me start from ephesians 2 7 to 10 it says he did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages to come the immeasurable limitless and surpassing riches of his free grace in his kindness and goodness of heart towards us in christ jesus for it is by God's grace that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourself. It's not of your doing. It is came not through your own striving, but it is the gift of God. You must understand, my dear friends, That this grace that God has given you, he has given you freely as a gift. And this is one of the biggest differences between Pharaoh and God. Let me explain. Pharaoh took from you. Pharaoh demands taxes. Pharaoh puts you in prison. God freely gives you. What does he freely gives you? He has promised to feed you, to clothe you, to shelter you. He has. You must believe it. You must. This is walking out of Egypt one. That unless you're set free from worry, unless you're set free from the panic that ensues whenever you want to unplug from Egypt, then it becomes very hard. For you to do anything. Let us look at it simply from an entrepreneurial perspective. Many people will not start businesses because they are afraid of failing. Because they are afraid what if I fail? What if it doesn't work? Where will I eat? What shall I slip in? What shall I wear? To leave Egypt you must Leave this worry and you must embrace grace. Now, when you embrace grace, the free gift of God, the the gift that God gives you because you are his son, When, when when you embrace that God is able to provide for you more than Pharaoh, that he's able to swallow up the snakes that Pharaoh sends you, that he's able to trouble Pharaoh to take you out of pharaoh's presence when you realize that that is what god can do then you began the journey to personal freedom why is personal freedom important listen it is not for naught right that god has saved you and given you grace to provide for you not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in or take the glory to himself. For we are God's own handiwork, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk with them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Somebody say amen. Now let me explain. It's a very basic thing. God gave us grace, set us free from the consequences of sin and the law, gave us unmerited favor, gave us his rich and very great promises so that one thing could happen, just one. So that we stop working for salvation, but we work because we are saved in the places that God predestined for us to work before the foundations of time. Now what is the proof in the Old Testament? The proof in the Old Testament is that God determined where every tribe of Israel was to settle in the promised land. In fact, it is also alluded to in the book of Acts. Let me read for you in the book of Acts. Now, in Acts 17, 26 to 27, And he made man from one common origin, one source, one blood all nations of men to settle on the face of the earth, having definitely determined their allotted periods of time and the fixed boundaries and their habitation. So God determined the periods of time we would exist, the boundaries we would exist in, and their habitation, their settlements, their lands and their abodes. So God, you must understand, has a plan and a place for you. Not a plan and a place which you deserve, no. One that he has chosen by his mercy and grace to make available for you. And verse 27, he offers the, 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 the Holy Grail so that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel after him and find him although he is not far from each one of us. Now, you need to understand something. In today's world, what God has chosen for you to do is equivalent to the role and the land God gave the Jews when they settled in the promised land. The rest of God is determined by a number of things. Number one, it is determined by the Sabbath, which we will define Number two, it is determined by being planted by God. That means to be in a land doing the work that God has chosen you to do. That is freedom. That is what Jesus meant when he said, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What was he saying? That freedom is trading your your, your yoke of Egypt for the yoke of Christ, your burdens in Egypt for the burden of Christ. That is rest. Now, if that is the rest Christ promised you, it must be mirrored in the promised land. So what happened in the promised land? Let me show you this picture. In Egypt, they lost their sheep, they lost their cattle, they lost uh, their, their land, and they lost themselves. I have told you, in the new test in, in, the, in, the, in the promised land, first before they left Egypt, God gave them back themselves, number one. So you must win back yourself. This is principle number one. You must be free. What is that freedom? To set yourself from the threat of hunger by which Pharaoh has subdued you. You are afraid to venture out. You are afraid to be who you are supposed to be. You are afraid to do that business. You are afraid to do that career. Because Pharaoh, the spirit that kept them in captivity, is a spirit of fear, of hunger. Okay? So, now when God gives you back your freedom, there is something else that God did when they began to conquer the promised land. Number one, he gave them land. Number one, he gave them allotments upon which they could thrive. Now, please understand, this is not the first time in the Bible God is doing this. Because Adam, God gave him land and settled him there. Abraham, God gave him land. And told him, this land I have promised to you and your generations. Consistently, God talks about land. Now, God is clear in his mind that every time he does something new with the people, he talks about the land. Even Babylon, he tells them, I'll bring you back into this land. He tells Jacob, I'll bring you back into this land. Question, why didn't Jacob not prosper where he was with his uncle? Why did Abraham not prosper? And yet, their people, Jacob, his sons later on, prosper in Egypt. Why? Because God had determined that they should be in Egypt. So you need to understand that just the same way God determined where people should be, thousands of years ago. Today he is determined, determining where he has planted you because the Shambas, the land of today is not just physical land. Yes, he could give you physical land. Maybe he wants you to be a miner. Maybe he wants you to be a farmer. Maybe he wants you to own real estate. It could be physical land. But sometimes it is corporate. Sometimes it is business. Sometimes it is education. The land upon which you should settle when God moves you from Egypt is a matter of revelation to self. But he cannot do that if Egypt still rules you because even if you are to look at it, you will not recognize it. Why? Because Egypt had the Nile. Israel is dry, my friends. (laughs) Uh, When you look at Israel, You know, I look at videos of Israel. I've never seen a place where I'm like, oh, I want to go settle there. Never. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. The promised land only works because the person who's supposed to be there is there. It is God who waters the land. It is God who provides the man. Remember, uh, there was no grass, there was no herb, until God watered the land and provided the man. So for God to create an Eden, for God to create a pleasant place for you, he makes both the man and he waters the land. If you look at the place before God and man work together to create what God intends, you see barren, bare land. That's what you see. Okay. So God settles the Jews. Tells them where they ought to be, what they ought to do. It's critical. So number one, step number one is God sets you free from the grip of fear from the grip of Pharaoh, from the fear of his power and his influence over your life, he sets you free and even drowns his armies so that you're sure that Pharaoh is not coming after you. He's not coming after you. It's settled. But once you get to the promised land, God gives you land. But he's careful to tell you and this again I need to explain when I get time, that you shall not copy the behavior of the people he displaces before you. You shall not copy their behavior. You will not be like the Canaanites. The tribes of Canaan had interesting behaviors and I've done a class on this, I'll probably do a repeat if you look at the meaning of these words some of them were called mud dwellers among other things now What do you call it? How do explain it? The tribes stronger than the Jews were being displaced because they were not keepers. They had not been formed to keep the ordinances of God the Jews had been. So God displaced them. But he told the Jews, do not be like them. So, when the Bible tells you that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, you 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 cannot choose to be wicked, okay like the wicked people, and then expect by any stretch of the imagination that you will inherit the land. Listen, there are people in tech, people in farming, people in law. People in academics, people in all of these worlds, all of these lands, let me call them that, that need you to displace. That is how you get houses you did not build, cities you did not build, vineyards you did not plant, and waters you did not dig out. Let me explain what that means. You see, Think of it this way. If I have a business and I need a new CEO, I need a new CEO. The CEO I bring must be in my mind better than the CEO I have. It is obvious. Must be more productive, more honest, better people manager too. If you are to sit where Saul sat, you must be better than Saul. Not just righteous. You must be profitable. And we will talk about the tribes you need to beat. Because beating the Egyptians is one thing. But their tribes, vices, little foxes, that ruin the promised land, that you must be ready to beat from the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, all of these sites. You must beat them. I'm giving you an overview. Now, when God settled them in the land, the fear of Pharaoh was gone. They had defeated the tribes among them. What is the next task that God gives them? In fact, let me take you back. After they are set free, what is the task God gives them in the wilderness? He gave them only one task. What is the task he gives David when they finally conquer Zion, which was the last part of the promised land. Both times, God asks for a sanctuary. God asks for a place where he can dwell with men. He says, build me a temple. Now, you guys know very, very well that a temple... A temple is not a church. Let me explain. The average Jew would be lucky if he went to the temple three times a year. There were three feasts. Three times. This really bugged me. How is it that God would want something built that is used for worship three times a year? Three times. We build churches in the name of being blessed by God so that we can go there 52 weeks and if you had Kesha and Miduk service and whatever, 150 times, aya, max. God says, build me a temple that I may dwell among you. This mission is in the garden because God used to come and visit Adam. It is in the tabernacle Because the cloud of the presence was there. It is in the temple. And every time the Jews went back to their land, the thing they were supposed to build was the temple. A place for God to dwell. Now, you guys forget one simple basic thing. Okay? So that we are on the same page. The temple was not built for worship the way we know it. The temple was built for sacrifice. The temple was the place the Jews came to sacrifice. Uh Aha. Now, what is a temple? A temple is a place where God receives the sacrifices of his people. Okay. Now, We no longer give physical sacrifices. But clearly, the building of the temple and the ordinance of the temple is restoring a certain order. Now, let me go back to Egypt. The first thing they lost is the sheep, cattle, and goats. Now, you know there was no sacrifice in the Old Testament that was acceptable without blood being spilt. They lost their ability to sacrifice to God. Egypt is too tight for you to sacrifice, which is why you need to leave it. Now, when you understand that, sorry, someone keeps calling this phone that has my network. One second. One second. can persist Uh, so what happens it's pretty simple they lost their ability to sacrifice God wants sacrifices. Now, let me explain. The three times the Jew went to the temple, he went to the temple to sacrifice. This is why he went to the temple. And therefore, we must understand and choose in our minds to understand that God requires us to build a temple today because we are God's temple. So what does God restore? Shepherding, taking care of the flock. Brothers keepers, the restoration of the temple is about creating a system of taking care of each other. What is that? When they brought their tithes and their offerings, there was food for the poor, there was food for the widow, there was food for the needy, and there was food for the priest. So when God asks for the building of his temple, he dwells where? In the praises and the sacrifices of his people. That is where God dwells. Your spiritual act of worship is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. So the most important thing That you must build. Forget about these people who say to the Jenga Mother Bow, let me tell you how to build a temple which contains the altar. You must be willing to sacrifice self for your brother to live. Greater love knows no man than this, than one to lay down his life for a friend. So a temple must be built. And we must look at the temple worship. What must be brought into the temple for the presence of God to live and be among you? What kind of sacrifice needs to be given for God to dwell among you? These are the principles I'm giving you the journey of God's economic freedom. Talked about Egypt and living Egypt. I've talked about land, the place where God has planted you, the God place where God will uproot other people so he can plant you, that place. Then I've talked about the temple and how its building is the only responsibility God gave the Jews and their kings thereafter to do. Build me a temple that I may dwell among Now, if God dwells in us today, if we are going to build for him a temple, doesn't it follow that we need to build fellow men? We need to build each other. This is how it works. Because there's another principle. If you are to inherit the promised land, there is no way in God's green earth you're going to inherit the promised land if your brother does not inherit the promised land. The principle of inheriting the land was that all the 12 tribes would not settle until all the 12 had land. So for as long as one didn't, the rest were still at war. Now, where are we today? Are you building a temple for God? Are you a temple builder? Because God gives you increase so that of your increase there might be food in his house. So we need to discuss broadly temple worship and how we can restore and create a temple lifestyle among us. The temple was not a place to go sing songs, praise and worship, no. That was not the main reason. Though Asaph and the rest sang, don't get me wrong, the temple was a place of sacrifice. Worship is a place of sacrifice. If you want God to dwell among you, you must be a people of sacrifice. Sacrifice. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. And one of the pillars that he creates is temple worship where is your temple do you have one the importance of the temple is this it is also a place of refuge God said something interesting he said he is no man's data and therefore the good things we do for example forgive a cup of water to someone in the name of God, you will by no means lose your place in the kingdom. If you show mercy, you will be shown mercy. Do you have a place of refuge with God? Do you have a place where when you do wrong, you run to And then he remembers you and has mercy. Cities of refuge, another concept I need to teach. But today, my job is to give you an overview so that we can go into the details. Just like I gave you an overview of Egypt, giving you an overview of the kingdom. Kingdom is made up of people who have left Egypt, made up of people who know their chosen place of operation where God has planted them, where the rivers supply them, where they uh, 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 uproot others so that they can have houses and buildings they did not build. It's uh, The promised land, the, the kingdom is a place where Uh, what the next thing that happens is it is a place where God puts his temple. And how you interact with the temple determines the presence of God in your life. How you interact with the temple. Now, please understand, one could not go to the temple empty-handed. You had to even catch a dove <laughs> if things were that thick it was all a sign and like and unlike other gods who wanted everything burnt much of the food and sacrifices and tithes that came to the temple were to feed the nation they were places of refuge for the poor the priest, for the foreigner, for the widow, for the orphan. That's what a temple is, it's a place of refuge, it is the sacrifices of people meeting with a priestly service that creates a place for God to dwell. Where there is no sacrifice, there is no dwelling for God. Even Jesus had to be sacrificed for us to become a dwelling for God. And even us, we are called to sacrifice ourselves as living offerings for God to dwell among us. So, this is the other principle. The other principle is that you must, you must, you must have a temple. And the temple culture, my friends, is not like the wailing wall. That's not, please read scripture and we will go into depth about the nature of sacrifices that were given at the temple. What you were supposed to bring and how that reflects on your economic reality. So the economics of the temple is something that we need to deal with. So we need to deal with um, leaving Egypt, finding your land, the economics of the temple. We need to deal with that. But I need you to have an overview. What I'm doing now, prophetically, is I'm spying out the land for you. I'm showing what the kingdom is for you. So that when we begin this journey, you know the end from the beginning. You know where God wants to take you now my story does not end there I have one more thing to talk about the other principle of living in the kingdom was the principle of Sabbath now allow me to read a scripture so that you understand and and this is something that I find very very interesting Uh, now Where's my document gone? Okay, I want to read for you Hebrews four, four to twelve. Now this is the economy of the Sabbath, uh, which is something that we need to talk about. And and please, if you're writing notes, remember: leave Egypt, secure your land, build a temple, and now we're talking about the Sabbath. For a certain place, for in a certain place he has said this about the seventh day. I mean Hebrews 4, verse 4 to 12. And God rested on the seventh day from all works, and they forfeited their part in it. In this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Seeing then that the promise remains over from pastimes, for some to enter that rest, and that those who formerly were given the good news about it. And the opportunity failed to appropriate it and did not enter because of disobedience. Now, please understand a few things. The writer of Hebrews talks about the seventh day rest and the promised land as being one thing. He does not differentiate the Sabbath and the promised land. It's very critical you understand that. Again, he sets a definite date, a new today right, a new today, and gives another opportunity for securing rest, saying through David, after so long a time in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, and when you hear it, do not harden your hearts. This mention of a rest, it was not a reference to the entering into Canaan, no it was not, for if Joshua had given them rest, he, God, would not speak afterward about another day. So then they still awaiting a full and complete Sabbath rest reserved for the true people of God. Sabbath rest. For he who has entered rest also has ceased from the weariness and pain of human labours, just as God has rested from those labours peculiarly, labours peculiarly his own. Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God to know and experience it for ourselves and that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and dis- disobedience by which those in the wilderness fell. Now listen carefully. This is the last principle I'm teaching today. And I hope you're taking notes. The Sabbath to us is either seven days, the seventh day you rest, no work. Or if you know a bit more, it is the Sabbath of years. Or if you know a bit more, it is the Jubilee. I want to read some scriptures to just give you a taste to understand that sabbath is on its own a mystery for us to decode leviticus 22 i'll read a few verses okay not not 22 not leviticus 22 oh my goodness sorry one second My scriptures have disappeared. Eh? Okay, one second, one second, one second. Let me just get them. I want to read for you um, a scripture. Ah, Leviticus 23. I just missed it by one. Okay. Now, the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the first feasts or appointed seasons of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy. Now listen. The set feasts appointed seasons of the Lord, which you shall proclaim holy as holy convocations, even my sets fits are this six days shall work be done but the seventh is the sabbath of rest a holy convocation or assembly by summons you shall do no work on that day it is the sabbath of the lord in all your dwellings these are the first feasts or appointed seasons of the lord the holy convocations you shall proclaim at their stated times on the fourteenth day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. Fourteenth day of the first month, two Sabbaths, the first month is Passover. On the fifteenth day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Again, seven days. On the first day you shall have a holy calling together. You shall do not no service laborers uh, laborious work on that day but shall offer an offering made of fire to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day, as a holy convocation, you shall do no servile laborers work. See, sacrifice again. And the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, when you have come into the land, I give you, reap its harvest. You shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and you shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it before the Lord. You shall offer on the day when you wave the sheaf of a male lamb and a year old without blemish for a burnt offering to the Lord. Its cereal offering shall be two lengths of an effort, fine flour and mixed oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet, pleasing and satisfying fragrance. Uh, And drink offering of it to be poured out shall be wine, a fourth of a hymn. And you shall eat neither bread nor patched grain nor green ears until this same day when you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generation in all your houses. And you shall come from that day after that the Sabbath, from the day that you bring the sheaf of the wave, wave of seven Sabbaths, seven full weeks, shall they be. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a cereal offering of new grain to the Lord. What I'm simply saying is that Sabbath was not about rest. It was not just about resting. There are mysteries as well in the Sabbath. And what does that mean? The Sabbath was a day to simplize complete work. One. Two, it was a sign that people would know that God is working with them because when other people are working so hard, they were resting. Three, it is a promise of God to bring you into this space. Let me explain what it means. God desires to bring you into a space where you have years of rest, days of rest, and days of restitution, and years where things have lost are restored back to you. Days and and years where slavery is turned around. Days and years where if you had lost your land, it is brought back to you. Days and years of restoration. Of restoration. So Sabbath was not just about rest, it's about restoration, it's about resting, it's about the revelation of God's providence to you. But It's also a time of sacrifice. It's a time of of giving back. So again, you need to live a temple and Sabbath lifestyle. Do you have a Sabbath lifestyle? Do you know That God promises restoration throughout scripture. Uh, It is easy to talk about who so and so fell, so and so fell, so and so fell. Ah, that person has a Sabbath coming. You have a Sabbath coming. But do you live a Sabbath lifestyle? Or have you exempted yourself from the seasons of God. Notice something interesting what God says. He says the first day of the month. first month of the year. And then he says on the 14th day. You will proclaim the seasons of God. There are seasons of God. Are you sensitive to them? This is the Sabbath life. Because the seasons of God. Are not about day and night. Jesus said. That we must work while it is still day. Night is coming. When no one can work, and he said for as long as i'm in the world i am the light of the world so there are seasons of god it is no longer a seven day sabbath it is a christ sabbath because when christ came he proclaimed himself the lord of the sabbath the lord of rest now if the sabbath of years sabbath of days led to the restoration of people we must understand That even if you're under punishment, you are suffering because of mistakes you made, I guarantee you there is a Sabbath for your restoration. These are the kingdom principles for kingdom success. Kingdom principles kingdom success. If you do not understand these principles, I beg of you, take the next week because now next week I'll begin to go precept by precept showing you how to live a rest life. How to enter and live in rest. How to live a temple-centric life. How to find the land that God has allocated for you. How to exit Egypt. But for today, suffice it to say that I have delivered for you your roadmap. If you have questions, please ask. But I'm telling you, This is the roadmap that God has put for kingdom wealth. And I will go a bit further. I will draw parallels for you within the system of the world because the world loves to copy the kingdom so that you can see real world examples about what I'm talking about. God bless you. I finished what I need to do. Enjoy your Sabbath. Kwaerini. See, oh, see you guys next week. At Morningside Business Park. Uh, 6 p.m. Please, please, if you can, attend in person. I love to see you guys. I am a lover of people. Come give me a hug. Come give the rest of the crew a hug. Thanks for hanging out with me in this lonely, lonely mess cuz <laughs> yeah all right cheerio, you guys